Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast, as well as for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. And uh, last but not least, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. Uh, where I share all kinds of things from funny things to cooking things to poker things to hockey things. Uh, it's all there. Anyway, uh, this episode I wanted to talk a little bit about hockey. And it was from a discussion I had seen a few weeks ago. And I was having a discussion with my grandfather recently. Uh, and we were talking about hockey players and, and the skill level at the NHL level. Especially like in today's day and age or whatever day and age. But one of the things is this. And it was something that... I think they were having a discussion on Overdrive. It's a sh- I like watching Overdrive. It's a good show. It's entertaining. Uh, it helps me get through my end of the afternoons, uh, so to speak. I usually just have it on if I'm making dinner, getting things ready for dinner, whatever it might be. Even if I'm doing work later in the afternoon, I like to have it on. Uh, but uh, with Overdrive, they were talking... Um, now, I don't know about Brian Hayes, but I do know about Jeff O'Neill and uh, Jamie McLennan. Both played in the NHL. Both had great careers. And one of the things they talked about is kind of playing hockey after you've played in the NHL. And one of the things when they played kind of rec league and why they stopped was kind of this expectation um, and this like double-edged knife to being this former NHL superstar playing beer league. And no matter what you do, you're kind of caught being in the wrong. So... Everybody wants to see the, you know, see a dangle and do fancy stuff and make everyone look bad. But then the same breath, they get mad at you for doing that, right? Oh, you played in the NHL. Like, here you come out now and you're still showing us up. Well, what do you want? Right? So you either do that or you have to stay back, play D, break up the play. And then it gets frustrating. And, oh, man, like, even at the NHL, man, even though you were a forward, fuck, your, your defensive abilities are still better than mine. You know, and they were going on about how no matter what, you, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And I can totally see how that's the case. And McClendon gave an example of, you know, for instance, he'd gone back and was playing uh, with, you know, some of the guys that he'd grown up playing with. And he's like, you know, it's funny how your perception of player skill gets distorted based on who you're watching and who you're playing around. And he's like, you know, as a kid, you watch, you know, he's, you know, there's so-and-so. And I can relate to that, right? You see so-and-so, and you're like, oh, man, so-and-so is so good. They could skate. They did this. They did that. Then as you've gotten older, you've gotten bigger and stronger, and you've gotten better, and you've played with better players, you're kind of like, holy shit, they can't turn left. They have no backhand shot. You know, they can't eat, you know, they, they don't understand how to pass it properly. You know, you kind of now have this new perspective. You're like, oh, my God, they actually aren't that good. And then you're kind of like, well, this is why they played at the level they played at, right? And why they never got past that. And back then, they probably were great, but it was based on what you knew. And that's kind of like any aspect of your life, right? Is is things gain perspective as we kind of grow, as we explore things, as we ourselves become better at things, right? You know, when we, for instance, when I was in university... Uh, They always used to have, at least once a year, maybe twice a year, they used to have these kind of presentations. Now, this is when I was studying business um, and getting my business degree. 
they, uh, and yes, I want to clarify that because I'm very proud of the fact that yes, I do have a bona fide university degree and I know people get very, become very guilty of kind of either embellishing or allowing people to embellish for them their qualifications and whatnot. And they'll use the same, you know, say that, oh yes, community college, and then they'll just shorten it to college. And they'll try to kind of loop in university with community college or technical school or trade school. All of these things are different things. I never went, for instance, to trade school, right? I do not have, you know, plumbing, or an electrician or a woodworker or a carpenter or a mechanic as a trade. I'm not those things, right? Am I a relatively handy person? Absolutely. Can I fix something? Can I figure things out? For sure. But am I a plumber? No. And it'd be super disrespectful for me to kind of go out there and say that I am, right? And it's no different. And I find that too when people start to lump in qualifications. Oh yeah, we both went to college. Well, not quite. Did we both receive post-secondary education? Yes. But that's kind of where the umbrella ends, you know. And, and I just, I mean, for me, and, and, and I'm not sitting here trying to toot my own horn like, oh, I'm the only person that went to university or anything like that. No. But it's more so sticking up for people that have gone through and have furthered their education or have furthered their qualifications. I just, I do find it's wrong and it does bother me when people try to either A, embellish their own qualifications or allow people to lump them in with other more qualified people. For me, it just, it's a bother and it gets me and I know maybe it's me being silly and stupid, but it just is the way it is and how I feel. But nonetheless, when I was in university and I was doing my undergrad uh, degree uh, here at the University of Winnipeg, they used to have these things and they used to do these things where it was like, you know, the businesses would get together and it was an excuse to kind of dress up nice and whatever and, and socialize and you know, pretend to be grown-ups. And they, they'd come in and they'd talk to us about like networking and speaking and, and all these things. They brought in a guy who was from Toastmasters and by all means, I mean, he was, an, he was a good speaker, an engaging guy. He, you know, I think he was from, he had done Toastmasters or something. And Toastmasters, from what I understand, is an organization that kind of helps people who have a fear or inability or just kind of want to become better public speakers. They help you with that. And he was had done Toastmasters. I guess he was well regarded in the Toastmasters circle and would come in and, I mean, he'd give us a speech on, you know, oh, this is how you give a presentation. This is how you talk. This is how you do these things. And it was always great. It was very educational and not a cut up on him at all but some of the students would sit there and they'd be like man fuck that guy can speak you know and i did this um this competition it was a business competition one of the things was you have to give a presentation and there was this and there was this guy who kind of hung around the you know he had graduated but still kind of hung around the department a little while and and i don't know why but he was like man he's like you know what they did a good presentation they can impress me they might impress you, but they need to impress this guy. And if they don't impress, the, I mean, if they can impress him, then that's a good presentation because he's the, he knows what he's talking about. And I, I kind of felt a little jilted because I thought, wait a second, I've won debating competitions. I've won public speaking contests. And I thought, wait a second, hold up. You're kind of fucking slighting me here and thinking I should be kissing the ring. Well, not you know, let, let, let's pump the brakes and, and, and take it into perspective here. But then I realized, wait a second, that's exactly what I need to do. 
It's not a matter of anything other than simply saying, okay, wait a second. For a lot of people that don't come from public speaking backgrounds or have a comfort speaking in front of crowds or have formal training speaking, whatever it might be, or performing, to them, this guy is probably the authority on public speaking. And he probably is the best public speaker that they've ever heard speak. And his opinion probably is the most credible opinion they've ever heard because he has some degree of qualification. I don't know. And, and again, it is what you make of it. Some kind of qualification. And I thought, okay, cool. And for a while I was really jilted. But then I thought, you know what? There's no sense being jilted or being miserable about it. Here's this guy simply trying... Um, to offer his two cents and try and offer some credibility as well. And, and is really using what he knows as someone is an expert. He's saying, okay, well that guy, I believe to be an expert in, in speaking. So that's who they need to talk about. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I'm hoping that that same student now, maybe he's seen other speakers, better speakers and be like, okay, wait a second. In the grand scheme of it. Yeah. That guy was good. Served a purpose. But I mean, he isn't the greatest speaker of all time. And I'm not saying I'm the greatest speaker of all time. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's all about perspective. And when it comes to hockey and athletes in particular, but hockey, I mean, I can relate most hockey because that's the sport I play. It would be hard for me to talk about this, but I mean, it's, it's probably a concept that can be applied to a lot of sports. But where I was going with this and, and, and where it came from on overdrive and whatnot was this idea of that, these guys who play in the NHL are on a very different level of skill and talent than what the average person, what I could fathomably understand, right? I can watch them play and be like, yeah, that's, you know, and understand what they're doing, see it, try to mimic it as best I can. But I can't play like them. Not a fucking chance. Not a chance at all. And so much so is this. The worst player in the NHL, the worst one, and I don't, I'm not throwing names out there as who the worst one is, but the worst player in the NHL is still probably the best hockey player that I will have ever played with. And for most people, unless you've gotten to a certain level of hockey yourself, right? You got super close to the show. You were there. For most people that played hockey, you know, whether it be competitive or recreate, whatever it was growing up, the worst player in the NHL is going to be the best player you ever played with. And it's not meant to be a cut up. It's not meant to be insulting. It is very simply a statement of fact. That's just the way it is. That is how special these guys are. And I think for a second, we kind of forget that as fans. It's very easy to cut up this player and that player and say, oh, you know, I don't, you know, this one sucks or that one sucks. Or man, how does he have a job? Well, he has a job because he is in the fraction of percents of skill level. We're not talking even full percents. We're talking fractions of a percent of all people that play that sport. That is how high their skill level is. So I think it's something, I know I'm guilty of it. I'll go there and rag on a player, whatever it might be. But at the same time, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have the right, we can do that. But 
What it comes down to is the fact that at the end of the day, we do have to sit back and whilst we might want to say this one sucks or that player sucks or this player sucks, these are elite level athletes. And they're able to do something and do it at a level that we couldn't understand. Sorry, I was just having a sip of water there. I think that's very something that we need to keep in perspective a little bit. And I mean, the, the example I give, and after watching some of his highlights from last night, is Patrick Lining. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I love my Jets. I'm from Winnipeg, my beloved Jets. And Patrick Lining is a guy that I, you know, that on the podcast here, yeah, I have some criticisms. Do I think in the grand scheme of NHL, I mean, skating is a, is a bit of a different thing because you can have guys who are exceptional skaters that don't play hockey or don't play in the NHL. So let's keep that in mind. Is his skating weak? I believe so. But I also want to, you know, is he the smoothest stick handler in the league? Nope. Best passer? Nope. Best shot? Up there. But in the grand scheme of it, I want to be very clear. Patrick Laine, if he came and played rec hockey with down at a rec league here in Winnipeg, he would be the best player to probably ever play in that league. You know, let's let that sink in for a second. So I just want to give some perspective sometimes, and that's where it comes from, right? And it happened, and you know, and we're and it happens at all kind of ages and levels, right? It's not just, for instance, as I said, you know, growing up, this kid was so good at hockey, and then now you kind of play with them, you go and you play shinny on the ring, and you're like, they suck. It's not that they, you know, all of a sudden started to suck. It's just at the time, they probably were the best player you'd seen play. Just as you've seen more, maybe not so much. Same thing, no different. You know, as in the example I gave with that guy who'd come in and give these speeches at university and not speeches, but talks and, and, and kind of advice and guidance. You know what? I respect the fact that he'd come out and talk to us. Very informative. It takes a lot to do that. It takes a lot to speak in front of people. Any of these guys that do seminars, and it doesn't matter what they're selling. All right, I want to be clear on that. It doesn't matter what they're selling. And, and whatever they're selling, whatever they're trying to push, to get up in front of a crowd, deliver a speech, deliver a presentation, takes a certain something. And that certain something is what can be respected. Whether they're selling you a scam or whether it works or whatever it is, whatever their motivations might be, that's something completely different. But to get up in front of an audience of 10, 20, 1,000, 100, whatever it might be and speak, that is an elite skill. Comics, I love comedy. I love comedy. Absolutely love it. Can't get enough. I have the utmost respect for stand-up comics. And yes, are some comics, you know, not as good as others? For sure. Do I sit there? I'm like, yeah, I'm better than that guy. Or I'm better than that girl. For sure it happens. For sure I can probably back, for sure I can back it up. But I respect the fact that they put together a comedy set. They put together a joke set. They're getting up there and they're delivering it and making people laugh. That's the part there that I respect and I give 100% credit to. 
In the grand scheme of comics, whether a comic is the best comedian you've ever heard or is the worst, that's fine. If they get up there, though, and can speak, that deserves credit. And where I kind of want to go with that is, uh, I guess, was it last weekend? I was judging the National Public Speaking Contest. And it's a high school competition. And I've been judging it now for like a teenager. I think I've done it now, oh God, 12, 13, 14 times. Yikes. Uh, to age myself. And the thing is this, that I always feel bad for for the competitors, is that the sometimes the judges... I mean, they're not professional judges, right? They're not even professional speakers. They're a lot of time they're volunteer parents, whatever it might be. So when it comes to that aspect, sometimes when they at, when we have to, when they have to give the students and competitors feedback, they give them feedback on things that are kind of a little bit irrelevant. And I always feel bad because sometimes they cut up, for instance, like one of the categories is persuasive speech. Well, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this in your speech. And I would have liked you to dive into this and you should dive into that. You should dive into this. This isn't the time to criticize that. And I always try to go last when it comes to offering my feedback to the competitors because I always let them kind of get torn down by other judges. And then I try to build them back up because... Part of what the judges criticize actually is not fixable. It's completely irrelevant criticism. And all they've done is gone and, and, and tampered with this poor student's confidence. This kid is standing up in front of strangers, talking. They put time into their speeches and talking. That's a skill. And I love, you know, and that's why is because I can respect that. I can respect any time I've done that. I remember when I was younger, and I had an ex-girlfriend who used to, her and her friends used to think I was funny. And they, well, I mean, I, I can't imagine they don't still think I'm funny. But um, whenever we'd get, like, if they were doing something, they always want me to go and do, like, a little bit of a comedy bit. Whenever they do their pregame, I didn't like to go to the club so much. Um, but I would go with them for the kind of pre-gaming, so to speak. And they'd always be like, oh, sign, do some comedy, do a comedy bit. And that kind of became the thing. I would always do in-home stand-up comedy. And I remember one of them would always be like, man, you should really be doing this. Like you could go on tour. Like you're so funny. And I appreciate the fact that, and, and you know, the thing was this is I, and I really appreciate the, you know, and sometimes they say, ah, that wasn't that good of a joke. Or sometimes it was the delivery. I appreciate it in the moment because I can change that. Okay. That joke isn't very good. Okay. I can go and change that before the next time I deliver it. To these kids in the national public speaking on, they can't change their fucking speech. So any criticisms that a judge wants to give them on their speech, guess what? It's completely irrelevant. Fuck it. Keep it to yourself. Write it down on the evaluation form. But to tell them has no bearing. There's only one thing they can change, and that's the delivery of the speech. They can't change the content. Right? They can not change that, but they can change the delivery. So that's where you need to give them advice. Things like pacing, tone, enunciation. Those are the things you can help them along. So it's just, it's kind of funny, right? But nonetheless, give credit to them for getting up there and fucking talking. And uh, I think it's, it's a tremendous thing. And I've seen it too, where people go up and they, you know, and, and, and I've seen the students struggle. I have seen it where the student gets up and completely freezes. I've seen them be delivering a great speech and then all of a sudden it's just like snap. And then it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, 
right? So it happens and you feel bad. But nonetheless, the fact that they're getting up there, the fact that they're competing, the fact that they're recognized they could be competing at a national level amongst all the other high school students out there, that is a tremendous skill and deserves a tremendous amount of, um, of praise. So nonetheless, and, and as I said, it's no different than watching anything where, you know, there's levels to the game. Poker, for instance. I don't necessarily like every one of the quote-unquote pros or every poker player there is out there. But I respect you for showing up. I, I have a ton of respect for you for showing up. For showing up and competing, there is an automatic respect that you get from me. 100%. That goes without saying. You get that respect. That is a free gift from me to you. Done. You get that. 100%. Whether you're the best player in the world or you're the shittiest player I've ever played against, that's a different issue. But for showing up and competing, you get a respect. You know, people always ask about the main event, for instance. And this year, we actually got to see something really cool where Dario Sammartino um, uh, came second to Hossein Ensan. Now, Hossein Ensan is not, you know, just some average schmuck. I mean, this is a guy that had some tournament credentials. Now, did he have the credentials of a Dario Sammartino? Maybe not. But nonetheless, still had some credentials. Still had, you know, some good, you know, a good career in ca uh, tournament caches. And uh, ended up winning the main event. But people say, you know, it always seems to be an amateur. Whether it's an amateur or professional, it doesn't matter. Winning the World Series of Poker main event is an accomplishment. Period. And there is a hell of a lot of credit to be given for winning the main event. Absolutely. Do I think, for instance, every main event winner is the greatest poker player of the, day, of the time? No! No! But I give them their fucking respect for getting the job done. And it's no different. But anyway, let's talk a little more hockey. Let's kind of liven it up here a little bit and uh, talk some hockey. Uh, so I've, I've got right here the stats. Uh, point leaders, uh, I'm not surprised. I don't think anybody should be. Uh, Connor McDavid is tearing it up. Uh, I think he's on. I think both him and Dreisaitl are on pace for over 150 points this season. It's unreal. Uh, McDavid leads the way. 33 games played, and he already has 55 points. It's fucking nuts. Uh, Drysdale's right behind with 54, and they're seven points clear of the next set, which is Nathan McKinnon. Uh, Nathan McKinnon has really, in the last few years, blossomed uh, into his own elite player and easily a top five player in the NHL. Uh, and maybe it's just because he's getting the time now. Maybe now, you know, he's some other players have moved, they've moved other players out and it's allowed him his time to shine. Whatever it was, you know, McKinnon has blossomed into truly one of the elite, elite players in the game. And I mean, you, you do see this, right? Where you see a player have an amazing season once and then you're like, oh, and then they, you know, sometimes, you know, the hockey pundits go and then they predict, oh yeah, they're going to do it again. Sometimes it happens. A lot of times it doesn't. You have to kind of look at the entire body of work, the skill set, whatever. McKinnon, I think, is going to go down as one of the best of his era. I don't doubt that. But you look at another um, situation here, and that's the goals. 
So David Pasternak had, I mean, still has the goal lead, but he was going through on this torrid pace and everybody kind of thought he might, he might have a shot at 50 and 50. Now, whilst he still is the lead leader in, uh, league leader in goals, his production has dropped a little bit. And now, of course, who do we see right on his tail? None other than Alex Ovechkin, um, who, when it all is said and done, might very well go down as the greatest goal scorer in NHL history. And if I was to make some predictions right now and lock these in, I would say that McDavid does win the Art Ross in points. And I do think Ovechkin gets his, I think it would be nine, now ninth Maurice Richard trophy um, for uh, goals. So that's pretty crazy when you think about this. Uh Anyway, I th like it's something ridiculous now that in Ovechkin's career, he has won the scoring race more times, or the goal scoring race, more times than he hasn't. Like, let's put that into perspective. It's not even just a matter of he's won it more than anybody else. Just dropped a flashlight there. Um, has won it more than anybody else. He's won it more times than he hasn't won it. Like, let's let that soak in. Let's let that little gem of a statistic drop in, right? Um, but nonetheless, so, I mean, when it's all said and done, the fact that we've gotten to see Ovechkin's career, and I mean, I consider myself truly lucky that I've gotten to see something like this. And I've got, in my lifetime, I've gotten to see truly probably the greatest collection of hockey players. Um, I've gotten to see Gretzky play. I've gotten to see Lemieux play. Messier, Patrick Watt, Dominic Hasek, Martin Brodeur, Curtis, all of these guys. I've gotten to see them. I got to see Shanahan play. I got to see Shanahan win cups. I got to see Brett Hull win cups. And now I've gotten to see Crosby play. I remember, people forget this. There was a time when Sidney Crosby was looking, because he was having the injury issues uh, with the head injuries, People were looking at it like he could be the greatest what could have been. And now look at how far he's come, right? So, I mean, we I've gotten to witness all of that. Ovechkin, I mean, when it's all said and done, probably going to be the greatest goal scorer of all time. I mean, it's, it's just unreal things we're going to see. I think Ovechkin does pass Pasternak and does uh, get the goal scoring race again this year. Um, Let's see, though, what... Uh, why do they not let us see? Oh, goaltenders. Boom. All right. So let's see the goalie leaders and wins. So Freddie Anderson, and they're kind of, they were talking a little bit on Leafs Lunch just now about the work, or maybe it was on TSN. I don't know. which Somewhere they were talking about Freddie Anderson and the workload. And can he keep up this pace? Kind of hate to tell people this. This is kind of why he has the number one job. Now, the way we're approaching sports and team sports and workloads is um, changing. Kawhi Leonard has very much introduced into basketball now with the workload management or load management. I do believe there's a thing there for goalies as well. I've long said, your number one guy, you want 50 to 55 quality starts out of your number one goalie. That's what you really truly want. 60 at most, but you need to be getting in that minimum of 22 games, I believe, out of your backup goalie. I believe your backup goalie is playing 
a minimum of 25 to 35 percent of the games minimum and you look in history and i've seen a lot of great examples of teams where they've run that kind of 1a 1b system of goaltending you know and so and sometimes for salary cap reasons sometimes for team reasons you have to run it but nonetheless, you need more out of your backup goalies. And this is where I think the Leafs run into some trouble with the whole Freddie Anderson situation. It's not just a matter of how much they're going to have to work him. A, they've fallen behind. That's a big thing. Is They've been a surprise this year how bad they've been. But, barring that now, now they have to hammer, and they have to hammer it down and start winning games. They need Freddie Anderson. Because they're not getting wins elsewhere. I mean, you look at the numbers he's put up in 25 games played. He's had 25 starts, 15 wins. So he's he's tied for the league lead in wins. Um, only Braden Holtby out of those guys has a better winning percentage. Uh, 15 wins in 23 starts. Uh, but his goals against average amongst the three is second. He has 248 goals against average. But it's a save percentage, which is nuts. At 921, he's um, better than Holtby at the 909. But only trailing Hellebuck there, uh, who's coming in at 933, which is unreal. I mean, I think it was something where in the last, like, three or four seasons, no goalie has faced more shots and made more saves uh, than Connor Hellebuck. So, I mean, Connor Hellebuck's been great in that Winnipeg net. Uh, that Winnipeg net, I mean, is very well protected. Uh, but in Toronto, we have this case now where, yeah, Freddie Anderson, how much can you expect out of Freddie? How much do you want to get out of Freddie? How much can you get out of Freddie? And let's say Freddie gets you into the playoffs. How much do you have left for once you get into the playoffs and try to make a playoff run? And that's where things are going to come in. And that's where the, I mean, the Leafs could be in some trouble. Um, but you also have other guys that are putting up great numbers. Uh, Darcy Kemper has been a hell of a story uh, down in Arizona. 196 goals against average and 935 save percentage. Uh, Jordan Bennington is picking up right where he left off last year. A 921 save percentage, 245 goals against average. Uh, but then you have some other guys that are kind of struggling. Like Martin Jones in San Jose, he's got to step it up a little bit. He's a 500 goalie right now um, with an 891 save percentage and 323 goals against average. Like that, Those are not good numbers. Those are not acceptable numbers. Um, and then you have guys that are just the staple of consistency. Tuka Rask. But again... Having Yaroslav Halak in Boston, having that two goal, that strong two goaltending system, again you're getting those those lights out numbers from Tuukka Rask. Nine twenty seven save percentage, two nineteen goals against average. Right, and so it just comes down to what you system you want to build, what you want to play. Do I think who do I think could get the most wins this year? Yeah, sure it could be Freddie, but again, at what cost is that going to come? Uh, you look at shutout leaders. This is an interesting one. So Pecorine in Nashville is actually putting up good numbers. Uh, his save percentage is a little shitty, and so is his goals against, but he's winning a lot. Uh, but he's uh, in 17 starts, he's 10-4-3, but he's only got an 897 save percentage and a 292 goals against average. But here's the funny caveat about that. He has three shutouts. So if you get rid of those shutouts... That's what's the true teller, uh, storyteller there in um, in Nashville. Take away those shutouts. He's now 7-4-3. And, 
And I can just imagine what that save percentage, how much that has to drop, and that goes against how much that skyrockets, right? So you have to look at where these numbers are being swayed. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, is Pecorine probably... I mean, Pecorine is closer to the end of his career than he is to the beginning of his career now. Like, let's be honest about it. He's 37 years old. Um, how many years does he have left? I don't know. I mean, but this is a guy... Yeah, the only times he hasn't gotten to 30 wins other than his first year in the NHL, but even on that year, 29, 15, and 4, was six, uh, seven shutouts that year. Seven fucking shutouts that year. Um, Spec Arena has been just a staple in that net. Uh, he's won a Vesna Trophy. Um, but I think, again, that's a situation now where you're seeing that blend. You see Saros is playing more games for Nashville. Uh, you're seeing that uh, that handing over that baton, the splitting of the duties. Boston, I love what they're doing there. Tukarask is the main guy, but you, again, have Yaroslav Halak, who has been a consistent guy his entire career, 34 years old, been around the block, but again, he's put up some great numbers. This is a guy that has 49 career shutouts. Like, let's just think about that for a second. 49 career shutouts uh, for Yaroslav Halak. For, who's only played so in the last so yeah well I mean yeah so between Washington so in St. Louis and 13 for yeah I mean he's been a consistent number one number one a one b goalie his entire kind of career in the NHL and lest we forget that infamous playoff run with Montreal years ago uh where he actually uh took the starting job from uh, I guess it would have been 2009, 2010 from Carey Price through those playoffs, right? So, and then that was when Montreal had to let him go because they said, hey, Carey's our guy. But nonetheless, uh, that was a bit of sports rambling there. But yeah, just some of the things that you're seeing now in the NHL today. Uh, let's take a look here at the standings, though, quickly. Uh, my beloved Jets, though, man, have they been surprising me. Uh seeing as they've managed to stay relevant in that central division. Now, that central division is a tight race, especially the fact that you have Nashville kind of on the bottom half of it. But those top four teams, I mean, it's close. Dallas is only three points back of St. Louis for first place in that division. Like, let's put that into perspective a little bit. Um, you look at Colorado and Winnipeg. They've both gone 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. You know, that's a stacked division. Uh, you're seeing things tighten up in the Pacific now. Um, Calgary's put themselves right back in, uh, in contention. They're going 7-2-1 in their last 10. Vegas going 5-3-2. Uh, Edmonton has dropped in the ball, going 4-5-1. Uh, right? So you're seeing kind of some convergence there. You're seeing other divisions, though, that there's a bit of a gap. Washington will probably win the Metropolitan. I would, I'm going to lock that one in. I think Washington takes the Met this year. Um I think the East is honestly a little easier to predict. Washington will probably take the Metropolitan Division. They're seven points clear of the Islanders right now, and I think that gap's going to continue to stay the same, if not grow maybe a slight bit. Uh, the big one there is the Atlantic Division, uh, where the surprising Buffalo Sabres find themselves in second place in that division, but well behind uh, the Boston Bruins, 10 points back of Boston. Uh, and the funniest part is Boston's actually on a three-game losing streak, um, but it's still 25 and six on the season. So 
the President's Trophy race, uh, Washington right now is in the lead for that uh, with 49 points, followed by Boston at 46. Uh, highest team in the West would be the St. Louis Blues at 42. Uh, and then St. Louis Blues are kind of an interesting um, dynamic there. This is a team that just a couple of seasons ago people thought they were going to implode and were going to start selling the, the farm to try and uh, do the rebuild. But they kind of did the rebuild on the fly and then a year later won the cup. So um, St. Louis, I mean, has done a great job there, their management, that team, everything. Uh, so again, St. Louis, I think they make the playoffs. Do they repeat as cup champions? I think this is a year, it's going to be an interesting year, especially in the Western Conference. Um, where I don't know which teams actually, as of right now, I don't know which eight make the playoffs. I really don't. If Nashville gets hot, if um, Dallas slows down, if Winnipeg kind of drops to where maybe they should be, things can change. Right, but you're seeing a team like a Winnipeg Jet team right now, which in my opinion is doing a little bit of overachieving. But they're grinding hard, they're working hard, they're getting the wins. Doesn't matter how you get the wins, as long as you're fucking getting the wins, um, they're doing that. So, again, here we go. We have a situation where I just don't know. I think it's pretty safe to say that some teams aren't making the playoffs. I think Anaheim and LA, they really need to turn things around if they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, but it doesn't look like they're going to. Uh, San Jose has been a bit of a surprise. The big three California teams. This could be the first time that I remember in a long time where the big three out of California aren't uh, going to be um, making uh, the playoffs. And I would go ahead and predict that. I'm going to lock that in today. I, don't, I think we have a situation here where the big three in California do not make the playoffs. We also have a situation in the East where potentially Toronto and Montreal, neither of them make the playoffs. Now, Toronto and Montreal are being both afforded some flexibility by kind of the general weakness in that division. Boston's running away with it um, and probably will win that division. But you have Tampa Bay that is trailing, Bo I mean, Toronto. Now, with that being said, they have three games in hand on Toronto. Uh, two on Boston and whatnot. But two games in hand is not going to overcome a 13-point deficit, which is where they are on Boston. But it could be what leapfrogs them into a wildcard position. But, again, Toronto-Montreal could, again, both be on the outside looking in. Or they could potentially both make it. Uh, Florida, uh, they were a team that going into the offseason, I remember on, uh, on the last day of June, I thought, fuck, let me lock in a bet for Florida to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, because I thought there was a chance they could get both Panarin and Bobrovsky. Did they? No. Uh, would I have liked them to? Yes. Did I think they could? Yes. Did I think that it was going to happen? Yes. So I was a little disappointed when it didn't. I was a little surprised. Um, but, again, shit happens. And I think this was just a case of simply that. Um, at the end of the day, a deal couldn't materialize. And Panarin went to the Rangers. But I thought with Coach Q coming in, getting Panarin and Bobrovsky, um, adding that to a lineup that already included um, Sasha Barkov, uh, we were going to have a situation there where Florida could have been the sleeper team to go on and win the cup. Uh, but nonetheless, Florida's still in a playoff spot, and they very well probably will make the playoffs. But anyway, uh, I've rambled on quite a bit today 
Uh, but I wanted to talk, I just wanted to stress that, that yes, while we criticize, yes, while we critique those of us with podcasts, those with us in the media, whatever it might be, those of us that are just sports fans, it's always important to remember that there is a certain respect to be given to those that go out there and do. And I think that's the biggest thing is we just need to start maybe showing each other a little bit of appreciation. And, and that's that. I appreciate the fact that these guys play in the NHL. The fact that they do that allows me to basically run a podcast. Um, but I appreciate what they can do. And I appreciate more importantly that they are part of the very few that can do what they do. And it applies to so many aspects of our life. And I think we just have to take a moment to appreciate that, appreciate others. But anyway, I thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the Dude I think we'll leave it off for there. Take care and bye-bye for now.